Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, um, I was inspired to um, talk about this topic um, uh, with uh, after seeing a few things this week that both uh, inspired and moved me. Um, one was on uh, Tuesday here in this room uh, there was a an evening with uh, someone who's been a an inspiration and benefactor uh, for me, uh, that is uh, A.T. Aryaratna, who founded the Sarvodia movement, uh, was visiting, and uh, gave a, spent an evening along with uh, Michael Negler, who's a, a professor at, uh, at UC, and this, uh, this other uh, wonderful man, Walter Hink, and Walter Hink and Ari, uh, are writing this book on what is it? Um, I guess it's Buddhist economics, um, and uh, it was about how to um, how to live in this world consciously um, and uh, from a dharmic standpoint. And uh, Ari. I first met him in 1982 when I went to uh, Sarvodi, when I went to Sri Lanka and uh, saw the Sarvodia movement, which is a, an amazing movement that mm, I think it's like 5,000 villages that are part of Sarvodia. Sarvodia means awakening of all. And um, he was a school teacher many, many years ago uh, who brought these principles, uh, Dharma principles, to daily life. And uh, even though there's so much violence and awful things that have been going on in Sri Lanka for the last couple of decades, um, he and Sarvodia is, uh, are, are the bright spots in, uh, in that country. And his... Um, the, the basis of Sarvodia is that if you can get people coming together for the common good, the joy that they experience is as powerful an expression of the Dharma. They, uh, they will be inspired by the power of their own generosity. So Ari would uh, train uh, leaders to go into a village and bring everybody together and uh, ask, what do you need? What do you all really need? Not so much to tell them or to direct them, but really to bring out from the group what their wisdom and their needs are and facilitate a kind of harmonizing where they're all working for the common good. And they would have what are called shramadanas or these uh, exercises in dana for the whole community. And if they, say, need to build a, a bridge or a, a water pump or whatever it is for the village, if they all work together, they feel so connected and inspired that that in itself seeds something quite extraordinary among the, the villagers. Uh, so uh, he was... Uh, when I saw that he was here, I just found out at the last moment I uh, came to uh, say hi and hear him. And he's, he was, he's called the Gandhi of Sri Lanka and was nominated for the Nobel Prize. And um, he's, he's, really, he's really a special guy. So I was inspired as they were all talking about how society unfortunately seems to be the direction that we, are, we seem to be going and uh, what it could be. Uh, that was on Tuesday. And then uh, last night, I went with Jane to see the new Michael Moore movie, um, Capitalism, a Love Story. How many people have seen it? 
it's, it's, uh, it really makes you think. Um, it's very powerful. Uh, you know, it's, it's Michael Moore does his thing, but in such a, a, a poignant way, you see these stories of how our blindness, our ignorance, causes so much pain and suffering, and it just, it just, it just tears, tears your heart out. It's, 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 uh, and there's also some very inspiring moments where people get in touch with the truth enough to say, we're not going to go along with this, and they make a difference by their, again, their common collective connection to truth and goodness and rightness. So I, I really highly recommend it. Um, but it was painful to see just how we've elevated consumption to this great mm, promise of happiness it is one of the it's the one of the keys of delusion you know there's greed hatred and delusion and one of the uh, definitions of delusion in buddhism is taking that which is the cause of suffering to be the cause of happiness And that's basically what our culture is running on through our conditioning, through our manipulation. Just the statistics were incredible. Where the top 1% of the population has as much as the bottom 95%. It's just bizarre. It's just bizarre. Mm. And it's all predicated on the belief or on the carrot that you too might be lucky and win the lottery of life and make it to the top 1%. It's basically a lottery game that's, that everybody is... Uh, is, is hankering for that, at least the way Michael Moore presents it, uh, is, the, is the big um, motivation for why we've, we've taken capitalism to be the way to go. And we're so, as, you, as you've seen in the last, I hope this isn't too political for people, um, but we are here in Berkeley, so... Um, <laughs> Forgive me, and I'm I'm open to uh, to to. I really want to respect everybody's perspective, um, and I do. Uh, but the way I see it, the the one thing that's just so sad is how we get manipulated by labels, where a word becomes either sacred or profane, where capitalism is the sacred paradigm for our culture. And words like socialism that mean, oh, sharing the resources are scary <laughs> and, uh, and un-American. Um, it's amazing how the labels can stick. And I, I just want to, I know I, a few people, a number of people have seen this before. I, I share it in the Joy Course, and I think I've shared it here before. But uh, just to underscore the power of the conditioning, I, I want to share it again tonight because it's, it's directly related to what we're talking about. This um, ad that uh, I love, The Gold Shivers. How many people have not seen this ad? Okay, good. Um, the gold shivers. Somebody gave me this a number of uh, a few years ago. Beautiful woman draped in gold. The gold shivers. That electric excitement. That thrilling warmth. Every new piece of gold jewelry ignites it once again. Nothing makes you feel as good as gold. 
And then the second page, what is the real substance? What is the real substance of a new piece of gold jewelry? Emotion, pure and powerful. From the first small shiver of excitement when a shimmering necklace of gold beads catches a woman's eye, to the great shivers of delight when the coveted object actually becomes hers. Among life's pleasures, count this deeply felt euphoria as unique. The only way to get the gold shivers is by getting the gold. It's brilliant. It elevates desire, fanning of desires to a high art. And the Buddha was talking about watch out for the seduction of desire 2,600 years ago. He wasn't dealing with this. And the average uh, American, the average American uh, gets 3,000 messages like this every day. It's mind-boggling when you think about it. Three, unless you're on retreat, you know, or you, you stay in your house and you just, you know, you didn't go out that day, if you look at TV or listen to radio or walk down a street or, you know, you are bombarded with the messages, this is going to make you happy. This is going to make you happier than you are. And then there'll be something else that will make you even happier than that. So this is what we're up against. Now, the Buddha did not say that all desire is bad. Sometimes the second noble truth is translated as the cause of suffering is desire. But that's not actually accurate. Desire, some desire, is quite good. There's desire that leads to more desire, and there's desire that leads to the end of desire. And there's desire that leads to a feeling of well-being when it is fulfilled. So not to be so um, black and white about it. Oh, desire, bad. But it's important to notice and understand the difference between those kinds of desire. There's a desire like the one that's fanned by the gold shivers that leads to a craving, leads to a wanting. And craving leads to grasping which is, or clinging, which is a stronger uh, dimension of desire. And if you, you want to get a sense of the continuum, this is on the wheel of dependent origination, how we keep on going around in suffering. And the, the wheel, the way it states, is when there's contact with the sense, uh, the sense door, we see something we like, like an ad, and that has a pleasant quality to us, uh, to uh, affects us. Oh, that, that might be a nice thing. Oh, I like that. You know, oh, that's a pretty woman. I like that. You know, that's, that's the, the sense impression that starts the pleasantness. And it's associated with, oh, you're going to want this because if you wear gold jewelry, you'll look like her. Or if you give gold jewelry, you'll get her, one or the other. Oh, that would be pleasant. And then there's wanting. And then there, it can turn into craving when you say, I've got to have it. You know that feeling, say you're walking down the street and um, you're kind of hungry. Hmm, I could go for something. And then all of a sudden you see the pizza parlor. Pizza. I want pizza. That's when craving has turned to grasping. And you have that you have a, the slice of pizza in your hand, it's, 
very hard to let go at that point. Not that, and uh, I like pizza, R&L's my favorite. Uh, so it, it's not wrong, and certainly if we're feeding our body, then that's a very useful thing to have. But where it gets to the point, I've got to have that or I'm going to be disappointed, um, this is where it gets to be painful. Mm. The image that I, that I use in the beginning class is uh, ice cream, right? There, and, and just to see how desire gets us. You know, if you've done the beginning class, then, then you know this. Um, I'm going to talk about it this next, this next class. So there you are in a, uh, just having a, a really pleasant evening and maybe curled up with a good book and then all of a sudden the thought, ice cream comes and the book isn't quite as interesting. And if you look at the refrigerator, there's nothing quite there that does it and then you are on your way, you've got a mission and if somebody stops you and says, hi, how you doing, you might be polite but you, you've got a goal. Even getting into the ice cream parlor, you order your ice cream, and if it's there in your hand, it doesn't quite do it until, ah, that first lick. And then it's so wonderful. Oh, it feels so good. And that first lick is so good. It's so good that it tricks us into thinking that's what happiness is like. Because after the first lick, then there's a second lick, and, you know, by the, oh, seventh or eighth lick, you know, you're kind of looking around, checking things out. That one isn't as good as the first one. Have you noticed? You know, the last one, when you're there, oh, I don't want to miss this. It's almost gone. Let me be here for this one. But that first lick, it feels so good that we feel like, oh, that's what happiness is about, that desire being fulfilled, as we were toppling forward, and then it's no longer um, in our, we're not in its grip anymore. Ah, the desire is ended. And then when you finish the ice cream, you say, oh, well, now I'm kind of, um, I could use some water, a little cotton mouth. So you say, oh, water, that's going to do it. And you drink some water. Now I'm a little bloated. I just need to kind of walk this off a bit. That'll do it for me. And then I'm kind of tired with all this. I just need to lie down. And if you look one moment after another, it's the next thing that we think is going to do it for us. So we manufacture desires and then think that happiness is about having them gratified and putting them close enough together so that there's no gaps and we've won. Except it can't work out that way because there's always an end, right? The alternative scenario, as I like to point out, you have that thought of ice cream and then all of a sudden, um, on your way to the refrigerator, the phone rings and you get into a conversation with somebody you haven't spoken to in a long time. Then you put down the phone and go back to your book, forgetting about that desire. You don't say, the next morning, oh, I didn't get my ice cream. Maybe you will, but mostly it's like it's gone. And what happened was that desire has ended, so you're no longer in its, in its grip. It's the end of desire that's really the relief. But we get hooked into thinking it's manufacturing another one and then having it fulfilled. So it can never work when it becomes craving or the desire, as um, called in the teachings, tanha. That's what craving is, is. tanha, this thirst. It actually literally means thirst. As uh, Tanisaro Bhikkhu says, I'm paraphrasing him, something like this. If a desire does not lead to more happiness, if it doesn't lead to genuine satisfaction and enhancing the quality of your life, then it contradicts its own reason for being. If a desire does not lead to more happiness when it's fulfilled, it contradicts its reason for being. 
you have a desire thinking, oh, this is going to really do it for me, except the way the game is so mysteriously set up is that it just fans more desire. Have you noticed? There's no end, as somebody asked John Paul Getty, uh, no, it was uh, John D. Rockefeller, how much, sir, how much money will be enough? He said, just a little more. And to see uh, uh, in that Michael Moore film, it's just amazing. Ooh, it's just amazing. These these um, these guys, mostly guys, on Wall Street, or the you know all the all these all these um, all these people who knowingly were setting up a system. That was going to cause that was that couldn't sustain that was going to collapse inevitably, and that so many people would be hurt, but the game for them was getting as much as you can, and there's no end to it you know it's kind of it was obscene these you know seven hundred million dollar uh, this guy was worth and you know, and then of course there's the the Madoffs and people like that. It's just it's a sickness. It's a real sickness. Here's the Buddha. I can find it. Saying, uh, oh, here it is. There is no river like craving. Rivers can fill their banks, but the wants of human beings can never be, fu- can never be filled. Uh, and he said, if one could magically transform one single mountain into two mountains of solid gold, it would still not provide complete and lasting satisfaction when one is in the grips of craving. No end to it. So that's the tanha the, the desire that is fueled by ignorance, by not seeing clearly where happiness lies. Then there's another kind of desire, which happens when ignorance is replaced by wisdom. And that is the desire called chanda. C-H-A-N-D-A. Chanda is... The desire rooted in true well-being. A desire that has as its goal benefit to ourselves, benefit to others, and a feeling of completion and wholeness when it is fulfilled. There are two kinds of Chanda desire. Dhamma chanda, we can have a desire for the truth. And kusala chanda, that is a desire that leads us to experience um, our own goodness or the goodness of others. This is a very good desire. And in fact, the Buddha encouraged this desire. In fact, that's what motivated him to uh, go on his quest. He wanted to be free. And nothing was going to stop stop him, was getting, going to get in the way of it. Now, you can get very attached. You know, one could say, uh, you can, well, I know many people, and including myself, that could get very attached to the idea of awakening, and it's not happening yet, so come on, let's go, what am I doing wrong, and come on more. That turns the wholesome desire into um, an unwholesome craving. But if we are inspired, say, by the, the Buddha or somebody who has uh, moved you by their own presence, and seeing the possibilities that says, that makes you say, I want to work on myself. I want to really come to a degree of freedom that um, 
that will be not only for my benefit, for, but for the benefit of others. This is a very wholesome desire, as long as you're not there with a timetable saying, has it happened yet, and when, you know, are we there yet? There's lots of wholesome desires. Mm-hmm. And as we cultivate more wisdom, then the chanda desire starts to dominate over tanha. And you start to see where real happiness lies. There's an illustration. Um, say you're liking, you're wanting food, you know, and you have a favorite food, and you're really hungry. You can eat that food with great appreciation and appreciate that it's nourishing you. That's chanda. Or you can be a glutton and saying, give me, how about a third portion? You know, I want even more, more. And then you're motivated by that pleasure, that pleasant hit. That becomes uh, tanha. So it's not the object itself, it's our relationship to the object that's really the key. And when chanda takes over tanha, then there's a harmonizing of interests. Then it's beneficial to ourselves, it's beneficial to society, it's beneficial to the environment. And often the chanda kind of desire is not about acquiring, but about developing our full potential as an act of generosity. There's a, a beautiful um, passage in Shanti Deva's uh, Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life where he says, uh, the, the power of awakening, the miracle of awakening, lifts, is the treasure that lived, lifts us out of poverty into the wealth of giving to life. It's a beautiful line. You know the difference when you're looking for something for yourself. Yeah, I really want that. And there's a very positive, pleasant feeling that we get gripped by. But how different it is when we are moved to give to life, when we're there for somebody, when we express our caring, when we... Um, express our natural gifts as, a, as an act of generosity. That's where the real well-being lies. So I'll just mention a, a couple of other things and then I want us to reflect. <clears throat> One is about um, right consumption. Right consumption, again, is about Consumption that we take in for the benefit of, of all and it, that it provides well-being. This is uh, Paiuto, who's a, a brilliant writer on uh, Buddhist economics. He says, uh, When does enough become satisfying? It means knowing the amount that is just right, the Buddhist principle of moderation, and here's Paiuto. It is an awareness of that optimum point where the enhancement of true well-being coincides with the experience of satisfaction. Consumption must be balanced to an amount appropriate with well-being rather than to the satisfaction of desires. In contrast to maximum consumption leading to more satisfaction, we have moderate or wise consumption leading to well-being. It's a really good um, guideline. The moment where you're satisfied with whatever, the food or the experience, where there's not that hankering for more, but, oh, this feels complete. I have enough. That is... uh, that takes consciousness, doesn't it? It takes waking up so we're not kind of in the grip of, oh, more, that would be, that would be better. 
And contentment, whoops, contentment is defined as the absence of an artificial want. Contentment is really where happiness is. That is, seeing the difference between what we need and what we think we want. However, uh, the Buddha warned against contentment as far as spiritual development. Uh, That is, you can't get too complacent and say, well, you know, if I get a little bit wiser, may it happen. If I don't, it's a big deal. This does take some practice and keeping being conscious. So we don't want to be so content around our developing our, our talents and our gifts. Okay, and I just want to say something about wealth because sometimes people can get the idea, oh, wealth is not a good thing. The Buddha saying, oh, no, one shouldn't be wealthy. And he didn't say that at all. I just want to uh, put in a couple of words for the ones, uh, for those who might think that um, mm, poverty Poverty mentality is the way to go. If you're a monastic, a simple life is really uh, one of the, the main supports for, uh, for contentment. But as a lay person, he said a few things about wealth. This is Paiuto talking. The term poverty is misleading. The familiar Buddhist concepts are rather contentment or limited desires. Poverty is in no place praised or encouraged in Buddhism. As the Buddha said, for householders in this world, poverty is suffering. Woeful in the world is poverty and debt. In fact, the possession of wealth by certain people is often praised and encouraged in the canon, indicating that wealth is something to be sought after. Among the Buddha's lay disciples, the better known, the most helpful, and often the most praised were in large part wealthy persons, such as Anattapindika. Just read this piece. For the laity, there is no instance in which poverty is encouraged. On the contrary, many passages in the scriptures exhort lay people to seek and amass wealth in rightful ways. Among the good results of good karma, one is to be wealthy. What is blamed in connection with wealth is to earn it in dishonest ways. Worthy of blame also is the one who, having earned wealth, becomes enslaved by it and creates suffering as a result of it. Five benefits of wealth. One supports oneself comfortably, sufficiently, applies oneself to seeing in his own happiness in rightful ways. Two, supports his friends and associates comfortably to a sufficiency, taking an interest in their happiness as it is proper. Three, protects one's wealth from the dangers of confiscation by kings, theft, fire, flood, seeing it's his own security. Four, making five kinds of sacrifice, supporting relatives, receiving guests, offerings made in the name of ancestors for taxes and public works, and supporting um, the Dharma. Those are all very good things. So, how do we find our inspiration to change our habits. And this is uh, one of the things that Ari talked about that really came through in the, uh, in the movie as well, about the importance of inspiring leaders. And in the movie... Uh, Michael Moore talks about, uh, and actually there's a clip of Franklin D. Roosevelt uh, 
talking about the Economic Bill of Rights. It was so moving, uh, which he didn't live to see, but he said that as long as people are wanting, um, then we're going to, uh, we don't have real freedom. And he put out these rights, the right to a useful and remunerative job in industries or shops or farms, the right to earn enough to provide adequate food and clothing and recreation, right of every farmer to raise and sell products at a return which will give them and their family a decent living, the right of every business person, large and small, to trade in an atmosphere of freedom from unfair competition and domination by monopolies at home and abroad, the right of every family to a decent home, the right to adequate medical care and the opportunity to achieve and enjoy good health, the right to adequate protection from the economic fears of old age, sickness, accident, and employment, and the right to a good education. It was so moving. And the Buddha said in the same way that our leaders, our rulers, uh, set the tone for everything. The Buddha says, when the ruler of a country is just and good, the ministers become just and good. When the ministers are just and good, the higher officials become just and good. When the higher officials are just and good, the rank and file become just and good. And when the rank and file become just and good, the people become just and good. And in another discourse, he said that crime and immorality, such as theft, violence, hatred, cruelty, arise from poverty. And that it's set by the tone of the leaders. There's no way you will eradicate eradicate these crimes through force. So at the same time as all of this is happening, it just, um, um, I don't know how you feel about uh, the, um, the Nobel Peace Prize, but uh, it, was, it was an interesting thing, you know, and certainly our leader has some, some room to, to grow, but the possibility that his heart is in a good place and that there is a core of decency, anyway, that, that I see, um, is encouraging. And it, I think, takes all of us to keep on supporting what is good in, in our leaders and in ourselves and not to buy into the system that says... Um, this is where it's at. Um, so I just want to have us now reflect for a few moments on this tanha and chanda for ourselves. Just uh, close your eyes and uh, let's make it real. Bring it back to our own lives. What are your great challenges around the wanting mind. When do you find yourself caught in tanha, in a desire that leads to suffering for yourself? And when you're in the middle of that Just notice, how does it feel? What's it feel like in your body, in your mind? No judgment, because this is what humans all are trying to wake up from. But just to see it clearly, how does it feel when you're in the grips of that wanting? Can it ever lead to a sense of real peace and fulfillment?
take a, a breath or two and clean the clean the slate. And now reflect when you are connected with chanda, the desire that leads to greater well-being, to real satisfaction. When for you are you touched by that? Something pure or good or whole that just moves through you that you can't ignore. And when you act on that, how does it feel inside? How does it feel in your body? How does it feel in your mind? Just feel the goodness, the wholesomeness of it. Notice the difference. And the more you become aware of it, the more you wake up to it, the more you choose to go for real happiness and wake up from the the trance that we're all subject to. So, hmm. just wondering whether to, which way to go. Hmm. Well, let's see. If there are there any comments or, or questions, let's let's go that way for now. Yeah. So, if you pass the mic all the way back, raise your hand. Um, for some reason, I was thinking when you were talking about um, desire and how it is hard to fulfill. And if anyone's ever seen the film Spirited Away, and there's a creature that just keeps consuming and consuming and gets larger and he can't stop, I, I think that was like the perfect illustration of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and how he stops is because he's confronted by this little girl who's like. No, I'm not going to be. Su- I'm not going to succumb to getting gold. It was just it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. I just thought of that. Mm-hmm. Spirited away. Okay, yeah. I haven't seen it. Yeah. I'm curious. And put it put it like uh, right next to your lips, like an ice okay. cream cone. That's it. <laughs> I'm curious how the same thought applies to non-material um, desire, such as the desire to advance in your career. Um, that that type of desire. And wh- tell me your reflection. Well, I relate to that more, um, and I think that's that's something that consumes me <laughs> versus me consuming it. But but it's all the same. I think that it it provokes it evokes similar um, ways of of living both in good ways and bad, or healthy and not healthy. That's it. You can have the same vision and be obsessed with it and be consumed by it, or a vision that's really inspiring and motivates you to do the absolute best you can. That's the beauty of it. It's not so much the particular goal as long as it's not a harmful goal, but it's the degree to which you're attached to it and what it does with you because 
the tanha kind of desire is a very contracting one. There's a kind of uh, possessing and needing and feeling the contraction of fear, really. It's like, oh, what if I don't get that? Or I need to get that to feel whole. That is almost guaranteed to be suffering. It is guaranteed to be suffering. The inspiring vision that says, I'm going to just do the best I can. I'm going to fulfill my potential. And particularly if in your job there's some kind of service orientation so that somebody will benefit from it, to let that be your motive, then that is a fulfilling in itself, a fulfilling action. And the mysterious thing is when you're coming from that place, you will rise up and up. So it's, the motive is the key. And the degree to which it is the wealth of giving to life is very intimately connected to the degree of, of uh, happiness or suffering. All the way in the back. Put it right next to your lips. Hello? Is that it? Yeah? Yeah, I, I have, over the last few years, I've enjoyed reading a book called Conversations with God. Uh-huh. And the reason I like that, um, uh, I re- reference it a lot, is he talks about highly evolved beings. I can't, put, oh. it, put it a little okay. closer. Is that closer? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Conversations with God, this yeah. book. Oh, yeah. well. um, and a lot of the, the morals uh, about uh, societies, like highly evolved societies, and how it's about community. It's not at all about individuality, mm-hmm. except for the individuality that supports the whole. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, 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 there's so many wonderful quotes, and I won't do that, but, but I just find it so, um, we're so far. You know, I think there's one thing that, uh, the, the author says, "God, now where where are we at? You know, society. You know, on planet Earth." He goes, "My son, you're not even in kindergarten yet." <laughs> so I like that because we have a lot of work to do. Mm. And um, your talks are very inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. And and really, the 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 one of the keys between Tanha and Chanda is getting beyond the small sense of self. If you feel separate, then there's like. I need to feed to, to puff up, to say, yes, I'm worth, I will be successful, this, is, this indicates status, all of those things. But the, the giving to life is where that small sense of self starts to dissolve and you feel connection with all of life. So... It's, very, it's directly related to the degree that you feel those barriers dissolve and that you're part of something much bigger where that, that self-referenting um, starts to dissolve. Thank you. Any last, last comment? Okay. And uh, let's close with a short loving kindness. And as we, uh, as you're, you're doing this, um, just feel the grace that somehow you can hear that voice inside. Sometimes that can distinguish between the desire that leads to suffering and the one that leads to real well-being and happiness. How fortunate. And know that your practice is just deepening that connection more and more. As wisdom replaces ignorance, that's the alchemical transformation from tanha to chanda. And then... Breathing in the benevolence and support of life to help you more and more see your true nature, get in touch with 
the Buddha right inside. And wish that for yourself. May I wake up to my wants and may I empower the ones that lead to greater well-being. May I feel all the goodness and love inside and share it well. May I wake up to my true nature. And then to share these thoughts of well-wishing with everyone here and all beings in all directions. As I want true happiness, may all find true happiness in their lives. May all awaken to the desires that lead to well-being. May all share their love well. May all realize their true nature. May our coming here together benefit any merit that comes from our sharing the evening together be of benefit to ourselves, to everyone in our lives, and to all beings everywhere. May all beings find happiness and peace. Enjoy yourself <clears throat> in a wholesome way. <laughs> See you when I come back. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.